just as death does not negate the judgment associated with the gospel, it does not negate the promises of the gospel either. The promise where we will be with God forever and ever for all eternity. The promise that we can stand before God and escape His wrath because that is not for believers. Are you looking for meaning or a word from God that's relevant to your life? Are you searching for a better understanding of who God is? Well, you're in the right place. You found the Gary Talks About God podcast. This is a weekly podcast that comes to you from the pulpit of Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. The podcast is hosted by Red Bank Senior Pastor Gary Sanders. Now let's get ready to take that walk through God's Word with our pastor, teacher, and friend. Hey, he's that guy we call Gary. And it would be nice if, as... Peter is writing about this, that he would give us some instructions on how to prepare ourselves to do this, right? Have you ever thought about how much preparing you do? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of preparing. I think about when I wrote this, I thought about cook. Two things popped in my mind. One, cooking. There's a lot of preparing to cook, right? Get all of the cans, get the vegetables, chop them up, get the stuff seasoned, get everything ready, pans, pots, whatever you need. There's a lot of preparing before you actually start to cook, right? And then I thought about vacation because we all want to go on vacation, right? Uh, Everybody would like to go spend a couple weeks either in the beaches or the mountains, wherever, whichever your happy place is, and just let the cares and the things of the world just fall by the wayside for a couple weeks. Do a lot of preparing for that, right? You pack, you make reservations. And I thought there's something about getting ready to go on vacation that makes guys just want to clean their cars, have you noticed this? I mean, it's before you go on vacation, the, the husband or the, or whoever it is, we, we got to go clean the car. I, I don't know why we do, because it comes back dirty. It seems like we should just leave it and clean it when we get back. But for some reason, we, gotta, we, got, we can't go on vacation unless the car is, is clean. We do a lot of preparing. Peter, this morning, in these verses, gives us three insights on how to prepare ourselves should we suffer for our faith in Christ. And he's going to do it by telling us there's some internal preparation in our minds that we need to recognize the world and the context of the world that we live in. And at the same time, remember that God is going to bring judgment. And if we can understand those three areas, it will help us prepare should we suffer for our faith. This is what Peter writes beginning in verse 1 down to verse 6. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not get, join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. So this morning, three areas to help us prepare should suffering for faith in Christ enter into our lives. Number one, we need to prepare our minds. Right? Believers need to face suffering by preparing our minds. And this is where Peter uh, 
first draws our attention, right? He's been writing for all of chapter 3 about suffering. He says, therefore, and he says, Christ suffered in the flesh, and we talked about that, and we're going to talk about it again. He's going to bring it back up. He says, since he suffered in the flesh, he goes, I want you to arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Believers need to think as Jesus did. We need to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking. Now, on the one hand, that is difficult. Because when you read through the Gospels, Jesus does some things that probably wouldn't enter our mind. The one that always comes to my mind is when he heals the lady's eyes who can't see. And, and of, of all the ways that Jesus could have healed her eyes, he decides to spit in the mud and put the mud on her eyes. Now, I, I guess if I had a choice between being blind or mud-laced spit, in, in, in my eyes, or spit-laced mud, whatever, I, I, I would go with that, you know, because at least I could see. So I know when we say, have this same mind, prepare our minds, think like Jesus thought, that there seems sometimes to be a wall that goes, I, I can't think like that. I mean, after all, He was God, yet we're told here to think like Him. Paul tells us, in Philippians 2, to have the same mind as the mind of Christ. So there is then the ability for us as believers, right, to think like Christ did. Now, how did Christ think when it came to suffering? Because this is the connection Peter is trying to draw. It says he knew the cross was before him, yet he continued to go forward. Jesus knew that he would be suffer, or he would suffer, that he would be uh, persecuted for his faith. He knew that he would be ridiculed. He knew that he, he would be mocked. Remember, he goes and he, he heals, and, and, and one of the Pharisees says, it is by Beelzebub that he is able to cast out demons. I mean, he, he's accused of, of being Satan. He's accused of being the one who has, who caused the fall in the garden and the one who is, he has come to be the, to, to defeat. Yet Jesus continues to go forward to the cross, knowing that on the cross he's going to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows that he's going to suffer, yet he continues to go forward. And the reason that he continues to go forward is because he knows, one, that that is God's will, but at the same time he has a clarity of mind and purpose and understands he understands that faith in God is not an easy life. Jesus knows that. And what we need to take away from that, and what we need to understand, is that having faith in Jesus Christ does not mean that we are going to have an easy life. Right? I, I, I think this is especially true for, for and I'm just going to be blunt, I'm gonna, for, for American Christianity. Right? Can, can I be as so bold as to say that I think that American Christianity has become soft? Right? If you play in the NFL or football or sports, I've heard the worst term that you can be called is somebody says you're soft. But American Christianity, I think, has become soft. For the vast majority, or for the, or for the reason because most of our adult lives, we have never lived in a context where our faith brought persecution. I mean, for crying out loud, we live in the Bible Belt. And so if we go to church on Sundays, nobody made fun of us or ridiculed us. If we went to church on Wednesday night for, for, for prayer meeting, 
Nobody made fun of us. If our kids were in RAs or GAs, nobody made fun of us. If we came back early on vacation to go to church on somebody, nobody made fun of us. And I think because of that, we, we kind of gotten soft. And, and honestly, there's also been some false doctrine that's been going around out there that, you know, Christianity means that you're going to have a, 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 a healthy body and fat wallet. I've got one of those adjectives. I'm just not going to tell you which one. You know, me and that COVID-15, man. All right. And part of the reason is being a Christian in America does not require the same level, level of sacrifices as in other countries. I love all of you very dearly. What sacrifice did you make this morning to come here? We didn't. Headline from the Christian Post dated January 19th from a area of India. Here's the title. Axe-wielding tribal animists attack Christians during worship service. Now, I know that there have been headlines in the past couple years uh, of things that have happened in the church with shootings and some things. I understand that. But none of us came here this morning thinking that that would happen. None of us expect someone to barge in, especially in this context of that story, somebody who is attacking them for, for their faith, not, not just because th th they're easy targets, but distinctly and purposely because they are Christians. And those believers on January 19th knew the consequences and knew the, the, what would happen if they decided to follow Christ. And they were okay with that. They were okay with that. To be a Christian and identify with Christ to them was worth whatever cost, worth whatever persecution might come their way. As an American church, we need to stop thinking that being a Christian should be about a life of comfort and acceptance from the world. Right? It, it, it's not. It, it's, it's absolutely not. If, if we are looking as a believer, to be accepted by the world, then I, I really need, you need to take a step back and say, all right, is my faith really what I'm professing? Because as we're going to see, faith in Christ automatically puts us at odds with the world. And as we are thinking like Christ, one of the ways that we think clearly and correctly is we start to focus on the will of God. That's what Peter says. He says, you, you think, you prepare yourself, you think on the will of God. He says, you no longer live for human passions, but for the will of God. The life that we live should be for the will of God. We should live for God's will in our life. Now again, I think, and I've probably done this as well as in, in preaching, and you've probably thought this, that God's will is, is really mysterious. Can it be determined? And I think we've made it much more mysterious than it actually is, to be honest with you. There are some parts that is mysterious. I, I, I will not deny that at all. However, by and large, God's will is a little plain. If it's between these two covers, it's God's will for your life. All right? I, 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 was, I was thinking about this and... and 
and think, how many times have, have we prayed maybe, you know, God, if, if it's your, if, if this is your will for my life, then I'm going to do it. And, and I just kind of had this picture of God up in heaven on his throne just going, I put it in writing for you. I've, I've told you, I don't need to tell you again. I think sometimes those prayers, God, if this is your will, what it really means is, God, I don't really want to do it. So if you could, like, lightning bolt or uh, neon sign me, I'll know it's your will. And God's up there going, I put it down. I, I wrote it for you so that you would know that it is, your will, it is my will for you. And Peter says part of God's will for a believer may include suffering. Remember, Peter hasn't put it out there as a foregone conclusion. However, he said it might be part of God's will for you. And as we are focusing on God's will and we're living for him and we're obeying what he's called us to do, what I think you're going to find out is as you live that right, that life of righteousness, it is going to bring you in conflict with the world and the world will we're not at persecution yet in America, but we're definitely at oppression for your faith. But you know what? If you're doing the will of God, Peter has told us it is better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. It's okay because in that context, you're thinking like Christ. You understand that it might lead to suffering and persecution, and you go, that's okay. It's worth it because I know that this is God's will for me. And so believers, we, we prepare our mind. And as we prepare our mind, one of the things that we have to do to get ready to face suffering is to understand the world. There is an understanding that we need to have in the world. And part of that is because when we were saved, Jesus did not take us out of the world, right? You're still in the world. We're all still here. Jesus says, uh, you know, I'm leaving you in the world, not to be uh, of the world, but you're in the world. It's, it's, it's just where we live. There's nothing we can do about that until the day we die. You, you, we will be in the world. However, even though we are in the world, we are warned that we must abstain from the sins of the world. Right? We, we are set apart to God. We are sanctified, and, and when we are set apart to God, we are also set apart from the world. Now, Jesus did not set us apart to be hermits. Okay? I, I know that, and I'm going to speak for me, I know there's a lot of comfort in coming to church on Sunday mornings where you are around other people who share the common faith in Jesus Christ. There, there, is, there is comfort in that. There, and that's part of why we gather for worship. That's why we're told not to forsake the gathering together. There is comfort in that. But in that comfort, we are never told to hide from the world. Jesus leaves us in the world to continue carrying on the gospel message. Right? We're called to be salt. We're called to be light. We're called to go make disciples. We're called to continue carrying the gospel to the world. And as we do that, though, and as we engage with the world, we are told clearly not to engage in the same sinful activities that the world promotes. And this, Peter gives us a list here. He says, and he lists sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatries. 
Just tie this into God's will for just a minute. You never need to pray whether or not God should have you engage or abstain from those. Okay? He just, he just told you. That's God's will. Don't do it. All right? But Peter gives us these sins, and at the base of these sins is unrestrained desires. A complete lack of self-control. And you read that list, and that list could have been written this morning he's telling them to avoid, telling us to avoid doing what will make us acceptable to society. This morning, and again, we don't hide from society, but we don't go out and engage in the same activities, the same sinful activities that society engages in so that we would be acceptable to them. We're told to stop. Now what's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to you as you stop engaging in those activities? They're already theological exiles, and now they decide not to go over here and engage in the drinking parties, and they decide not to give in to all their, their passions and their sensuality. They're going to be even more of an exile for their theology and for their belief in Christ than they were before. But that's all right. Peter says if it's the will of God for you to suffer for it, then you do it. And he says you've got to stop this. Back in verse 1, Peter makes this interesting statement where he says, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, he doesn't mean that we're, we're, we're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that once we come to know Christ as Lord and Savior that, that we can live a perfect life. But what he means is there has to come a point in our Christian life where we resolutely say, Enough! I will no longer participate in that sinful behavior. I'm not going to watch that movie. I'm not going to go to that website. I'm not going to drink that beverage. I'm not going to go to that bar. I'm not going to use that drug. I'm not going to give in to sexual immorality. I'm not going to be vengeful. I'm not going to be a gossip. There comes a point where we have to say, enough. This looks like the world. And I'm called not to look like the world. And when you do that, please understand, you may have to leave some relationships behind. Again, we're not trying to isolate ourselves from the world. However, in resolving not to, to partake in certain sins, it means that there are going to be some places and some friends that become off limits. Right? If you're an alcoholic and you stop drinking, I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess that a bar is probably not really a smart place for you to go back to. If you have a problem with internet pornography, I imagine that getting on the internet and sitting in front of computers probably not the best thing to do without some type of filter. If you have you engage in this behavior, uh, uh, drug behavior when you're only with these three friends, I imagine you probably don't want to be with those three friends. Peter says, "You know what? You got to stop. You've got." To stop. You've got to make that decision. And part of the, the list that Peter includes, look at that last one. He throws in one that's kind of interesting, doesn't he? Lawless idolatry. Lawless idolatry. Peter and the people he is writing to in their context, they lived in a polytheistic society. They had many gods. What is one more? Right? If you've got 40 gods, what is one more? We'll throw Jesus in and we'll have 41. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal was that believers said, no, 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 it's not 40 plus one, it's one and no, no others. 
So as they walked in faith with Christ, what they said was, we're not going to go to the temples anymore and engage in that sexual immorality. We're not going to go to those, those, those pagan places and engage in worship of false gods. They had to leave that behind. And the believers are saying there's only one God and he has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And that made them even more exiles to the world. I just mentioned that because, as I said, we're not at persecution yet, but we're definitely at oppression. And the more we cling to the exclusive claim that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and there are no other gods, not that there are other gods equal, but there are no other gods, as much as we say, no, there is not all roads that lead to the mountaintop, but there is only one that leads to God, and that is through Jesus Christ, we will become more and more and more of a theological exile. Anything and everything today that is spiritual is acceptable. Have you noticed that? Even Jesus. You can have Jesus as long as you don't take him and take his exclusive claims of the gospel seriously. You can walk out here tomorrow and say, I really like Jesus. He's a great moral teacher, and society will praise you and slap you on the back. But the moment you say he is the one and only Savior and he is the only way to God, society will not no longer say, oh, okay, you can be part We need to understand that as long as we continue to preach the gospel, that we're going to, it puts us in the camp of possibly facing suffering and oppression for our faith. And so that's why Peter says, you need to get ready for ridicule by the world. Look at, look at what he says. He says, you're, he says in verse 4, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them. They're surprised. You mean, you don't want to do that? It, it, it's been a while back, and, and I, I, I hate to even bring this up. I'm just going to bring it up. Somebody said, um, you've seen the Game of Thrones, right? I said, no. You haven't seen the Game of Thrones? I'm like, no. And they're like, why? I'm like, where would you like me to start? Now, if you've watched it, I, I, we're not going to talk about Christian liberty or anything like that. There's, there's been countless articles written about that. But I wasn't, I wasn't made fun of. I wasn't persecuted. But it, it was just that moment. They're like, wow, everybody in the world's watching it. Why aren't you? What kind of weird person are you? Well, I'm weird in a lot of ways, but, you know. All right, Peter says, they're going to be surprised. <laughs> They're going to be surprised, Peter writes here, that you do not join, and look at the wording, flood of debauchery. That's, that's a visual illustration, isn't it? Flood of debauchery. When a flood begins, it sweeps everything away, right? What is it? Uh, half an inch, one inch of water will pick up a car and, and take a car off a road? Can you imagine just the, the, the flood that, that comes and, and just, we've, we've seen them, right? We, we've seen the floods that have come through and you're just like, man, that's so much water. Here Peter writes, there's, there's a, a flood of debauchery. It says, all right, it just comes and it sweeps you away. You're kind of like, you're on the, you would never do this. If the Yakin River was flooding, you wouldn't go down and stick your toes in the river, would you? Why? Because you don't want to be swept away. Peter says, you know what, they're, they're surprised. They went out there, they, they put their toes in the water, and now they're swept away, and they want to know why you're not being swept away. It's like, because i got enough sense not to put my toe in the water. The world can't understand you. 
Peter says, prepared for, for ridicule because they're not going to understand why you don't go to the bar, why you don't watch pornography, why, don't, why you abstain from these activities, why you don't do this. Why? They're not going to understand you. And Peter says, they're going to malign you. And the word that is malign is actually blaspheme. They're, they're, they're going to blaspheme you, which I find really interesting. Peter writes, don't be surprised that they blaspheme you. Think about that for a minute. Your Christian life is so threatening to them that they actually accuse you of speaking profanely about God as you live out your life in commands and obedience to God. <laughs> they, they can't understand. Peter says, you need to understand, they're going to make fun of you. Right Back to the Christian Post article. After that had happened, they went and, and, and they interviewed um, the, the people who were engaged in that. And in the story, as, they, as they came, the mob came to attack the Christians, it's the leader of the mob looked around because, and, and asked them, why did they leave their tribal religion? Because the leave their tribal religion was more than just saying, I, I like this God better than this God. It, it was really an idea of you're going to bring shame and punishment on, on all of the village. And they said, why did you do this? This was the answer from the elder in the church that says, I think speaks to preparing your mind for ridicule. The elder in the church says, we have known the true living God. We will not leave him. We used to indulge in fights and speak lies, but we will not do that at all now. We like this faith, and this is why we follow it. And in that answer, what you see is they have prepared themselves for the ridicule of the world and said, you know what? It's worth it. <laughs> it's worth being ridiculed by the world to walk in the faith of Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that we can do that is because we remember or we recognize that there will be a judgment, that God is going to judge everyone. We, we face suffering by recognizing God's judgment. There's coming a time where everyone will stand before God in judgment. And believers know this. We know that everyone will stand, that everyone will have to give an account. And in Peter's logic, he is specifically directing us to those who, who blaspheme believers. Right? He's, he's offering encouragement. And he says God's judgment is going to include the living and the dead. No one will escape it, right? You can't blaspheme God your whole life, ridicule, persecute believers your whole life, and then, okay, think, oh, I've escaped God because I've died here on this earth. It's not going to work that way. Peter phrases it kind of puzzling where he says, the gospel was even preached to those who were dead. Now, again, we touched on that idea of going down into hell last week. I'm not going back there again. However, what he is saying is that the gospel message is one of forgiveness, right? There, there's, and also it has a tone of judgment to it as well. And even death does not nullify the warning judgment found in the gospel. Right? People who malign God, malign believers, will stand before God one day. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 and following says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it from his presence, the earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire as well. This is the great judgment where unbelievers stand before God. And as this verse goes through it, we are drawing our attention to a book and to a series of books. And the guilty stand before God, and, and God is looking through the books that has all their activities, all their deeds, all their works, and He looks down through the books and He sees, this is where you, you blasphemed me, this is where you didn't obey me, this is where you persecuted my father, this is where you, you maybe martyred somebody who believed in the faith. And it looks down and looks down and looks down, and, and they have nothing to say as they stand before God's judgment. There's nothing that they can say because they stand guilty and condemned. And the final punishment is, is, is where they stand before God and they now face not only His, His judgment, but they face His wrath as they are thrown into the lake of fire, as they are thrown into hell. Those who have rejected Jesus in the gospel and those who have, have said, no, we're going to blaspheme your name, are forever cast out of His presence. But for believers, we know that we will not suffer God's wrath. We know that we will not suffer His God's wrath. It says the gospel was preached both to the living and the dead. It's also an encouragement for those who have responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ because just as death does not negate the judgment associated with the gospel, it does not negate the promises of the gospel either. The promise where we will be with God forever and ever for all eternity. The promise that we can stand before God and escape His wrath because in verses 11 through 15, that is not for believers. But when we're told in 2 Corinthians 5.10 that we all appear before God, we stand there, we stand before Him covered in the righteousness of Christ so that we can stand and not have to face His wrath. And Peter says this is an offer of encouragement to you. Because even if you suffer for your faith, even if you die for your faith, the promises of the gospel will outlive your death here on this earth. Because the ultimate promises of the gospel are not found here on this earth, but are found after we leave this earth and we walk with Christ in heaven for all eternity. You've been listening to the Gary Talks About God podcast. Are you looking for a church? Well, Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church is a community of believers who exist to glorify God and see transformed lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can find us on the web at www.redbankmbc.com. Also, come visit us on Sunday at 8104 Red Bank Road in Germantown, North Carolina. Did you like this podcast? We put one out each and every week, so don't forget to subscribe. We hope this has been a blessing to you, and we thank you for listening.